that we would learn something new. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, I've been tremendously blessed already this morning, so I feel like God is going to continue to bless us as we read His Word. This morning's sermon is titled, God Has Faith in You. And I hope that by the end you would understand exactly what I mean by this, but generally we say that I have faith in God or we have faith in God, but have you ever stopped to think that perhaps God may believe in you? Now before we get to that, how many of you have ever seen this? What this is, it's, a, uh, it's like a, a carving of the Mayan calendar. Now, I don't know if you've been around or you've been hearing on the news or in films or all sorts of things, but it seems like for a lot of people, they believe that the end of the world is coming in 2012. Have you heard that? Yeah. And so people, coming, they come to me as a pastor, and they ask me questions like, is that really true? I was like, well, I don't know. I'm not Mayan. I mean, maybe a descendant from long, long, long ago. Look at how I look. I look like I could be a Mayan Indian. But I don't know. I said, if you're asking me if the Bible tells me that, Jesus, or that the world is going to end in 2012, I said, it doesn't say it will, but it also doesn't say that it won't. I said, don't get too caught up on when the end is coming. So you don't have to worry that I, I don't think the world is going to end in 2012. 12, because I have news for you. According to a group out of California, Jesus is returning on May 21, 2011. Look, I'm not kidding. These are billboards that are going up all over the country. They have done the dates. They have studied the dates. And according to them, Jesus will return on May 21, 2011. Now, at the bottom of this article, they also mention the, Miller, uh, the Millerites and Adventists before us. <laughs> um, but we know how that goes when you try to set dates, right? It only leads to what? Yeah. See, there's this sense, and, and everybody likes to talk about the end of the world because it's over-sensationalized. Oh, when is the end coming? Every time that something bad happens, that must be a sign of the end. The reality is, is that when Scripture talks about the end of the world, it doesn't really use that kind of language. It uses more of the language of Jesus saying, I am coming soon. When the Scriptures talk about when this world will come to a close for how it's been for thousands of years and takes up a new way of being, is that Jesus will return and he will put everything to rights, as one theologian says. You see, we always say, oh, this is a sign of the end. What if we began to see all of the goodness in the world and people who care for other people and the person who feeds the the family that doesn't have food? And what if we say that is surely a sign of Christ now? See, we get so fascinated with the time of the end that we sometimes forget that before that end comes, or what I like to call the new beginning of the new earth, What if we start drawing attention to all of the things that God is already doing now, all of the good and beautiful things as Paul calls us to? He says, focus on what is good, pure, honorable, true. What if we focus more on that kind of stuff as opposed to only the bad stuff? We believe in a God who at the end of creation looks at everything and says, it is very good. We believe in a God and we worship a God that the Scriptures describe as good, perfect, true, unchanging. Why don't we focus on that kind of stuff? 
there's a scripture that talks about that Jesus will come like a thief in the night with the idea of he's not a thief, but he's just going to surprise us. And we as Christians, the Seventh-day Adventists, and as Christians abroad, we are to be doing the work of Jesus who came before us. And if we're doing the work of God, it doesn't matter when Jesus returns, we won't be surprised because we've been trying to usher in the kingdom of heaven all along. So, as we talk about the end, I think there's something that we need to look at for us to understand that as we wait, there is work to be done. That as we wait for the return of Jesus, where he will put everything back to the way it was always supposed to be, it may be an entire lifetime. I guarantee you that if you ask someone in this church who perhaps is more advanced in years than you are, and you ask them, did you believe that you would get to this age in your life? Um, did, did you believe that you would get to this age? Most of them would probably say, no, because I thought Jesus was going to be here by then. I know that's how I feel. And so I realized that I was spending most of my time trying to be ready for when Jesus comes, that I wasn't really ready to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. And I was looking too far in advance for Jesus to come already, but I wasn't doing what Jesus was calling me to do now. So for us to have an understanding of, of what Jesus is calling us and what the end means and what's going to look like, I, we have to go to a backstory. Like, we're not messing around this morning, so we're just gonna, I'm going to fly through this. Um, if you have questions, I can email you. You can email me. Um, but this is an important text. So Matthew 15, verse 24. Let me set it up. There was a lady who comes to Jesus who needs her daughter, I believe it was her son, that needs to be healed. And this is what Jesus says to her. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. When Jesus was around and people wanted salvation or healing, Jesus would say, I've come. I was sent. My path was for the lost sheep of Israel. Now, if you were not an Israelite or if you were not Jewish at the time, then Jesus was not here for you. Is that hard to hear? I mean, it's in the Bible. I'm not making this up. We always start from the Scriptures. He says, I am not here for anyone else. I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel. Now, if you think that, just stick with us. We're going somewhere in this sermon. But I want to look at another backstory that happens thousands of years earlier, and it's going to come from Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And this is what Jesus is alluding to. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us into the wilderness and the land of dark, deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none pass where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law or the scriptures for them did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, another god that wasn't God, and went after things that did not profit. Jesus comes for these people. 
Jesus comes to remind the Israelites that thousands of years earlier, God had set the Israelites, the Jewish people apart, not to be better than anyone else, but to be the carriers of God's message to the world, that God is a forgiving God, and God is a God who is working and moving history forward, and that one day, God will put everything to rights. God chose the Israelites to do something very important, was literally to be witnesses of God in the world around them. But what happens is when God leads them to the land of of flowing with milk and honey is what it's characterized, the promised land. When God leads them there, then the Israelites, it's almost as though they forgot that God had led them out of Egypt, out of slavery. God had made them free people, given them everything they need. It's almost as though they forgot what God had done for them. And so they went out after other things. So we continue with the story. And God asks this question. Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? But my people, they have changed their glory for that which does not profit. So God's asking a question. In essence, he's asking this. Why would these Israelites whom I have given everything to Why would they go after other gods? Why seek for something else? God had given them the very best, and yet they wanted more. What story does that remind us of? In the garden, well, maybe your story too. (laughs) But in the Garden of Eden, it's as though the pattern was set where God had given Adam and Eve everything they could possibly want, and yet that wasn't enough. They wanted more. Well, that's not true these days, is it? Can I have a witness? (laughs) It's like we can have everything that we could possibly want, and God can give us everything, and it seems like we still want more. Okay, I've been there. I constantly am there, and it's this constant struggle that I have everything I could possibly need. I do not need anything more. And then the new iPhone comes out and they need that. Do you see what I'm saying? We have everything and then we want more. I mean, this is an ancient disease. This is something that has been going on since the beginning of time. We don't stand a chance. The remedy to that is not that we go and that we get these things, it's that we turn and return to the God of our youth, the God who rescues us, the God who is there for us, and continually connect to that God. And if we can do that, and I'm telling you because I've been there, I was the ultimate consumer. I worked from a very young age, and I hated working, but I loved getting paid, but I had to work because I worked for my parents, so you have to. In a Mexican family, you do what you're told, okay? So I had to work. But I got paid. And every time that I got paid, I was at the Braille Mall, because I grew up, I'm a local from here. I went to the Braille Mall or to wherever else. I would get the J. Crew catalog, and I was constantly calling and ordering some pretty expensive clothes because I needed it all. And every year, it was the same clothes, slightly different cut, but I needed it because it was new. So I've been there. I know what it's like to constantly want more and more and more, but God, if God has been working on my life, to not constantly want more and more and more. You can talk to my wife. Maybe it's because I have a family. (laughs) But God has been working in my heart to where money doesn't burn a hole in my pocket anymore. 
right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Get paid, it's time to go and, you know, good Friday, <laughs> literally. Happy Friday. But that's the life we live in. We live in a world where you can have anything you want, whenever you want it, as long as you can put it on your credit card or you can, you know, get a loan for it. If, if we want it, it's there for us. And Jesus says you can go after all of those things and you can buy all of those things, but you're not going to find satisfaction in those things because true satisfaction comes from entering your life on Jesus. And so we continue with the story, Jeremiah 2.13. And this is what God says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed or dug out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that have no water. Now, I, haven't, I, have, I couldn't think of a good analogy for this, so we'll just use a biblical language. Jesus says, my people have forsaken me, have left me, they have traded me in. I am the fountain of living waters. Now that was, that was um, in, in, when Jeremiah writes this, this was powerful because the, the story that the Israelites often told was, remember when we were in the desert and God gave us water out of a rock? Remember when we were in the desert the other time and God gave us water? So these were images of, they were what they were actually saying is, remember that one time that God came through for us? And so God says, they have, they have forsaken me. They have forgotten me. They have forgotten everything I've done. They, have, they, they don't see me as the one who gives water and who is the life giver. They don't see that anymore. They've gone after other things to find life. And the second one is, and they have dug out cisterns. Now here's some very, this is, there's some deep implications to this second part. A cistern. It's usually something that you would dig in places where water is scarce. So you would dig or make a sort of cistern and you would store water there or you would gather rainwater and all kinds of stuff like that. So a cistern was something where you don't always get water so you need to plan ahead. And what Jesus is saying is, not only have you forsaken me, but now you have stopped to trust that I will give you what you need. You see, for God... It's not, he wasn't a petty God or a jealous God. It's that, look, I've done all of this for you. And now you don't trust me by building your own water reserves? Now you would rather build your own water reserves and not use me now. Understand, there's some deeply, deeply spiritual applications to this. This has nothing to do with water. This has everything to do is do you trust God to guide you and be with you? Do you trust God with your life? That's the question in all of the Old Testament is that the Israelites stopped trusting that God had their best intentions at hand. God stopped, we stopped trusting in God sometimes because we know better. God is silent. I don't see God. God, I trust you, but I know better because I'm the one that's going to have to go through this. And so sometimes we stop trusting God because we don't trust him to lead us forward. Now, we may not verbalize it, we may not think it, but that's what's going on in our hearts sometimes. And so now we come to this. Jesus says, I have come to the lost sheep of Israel. That's who I came for. And we just understood what he meant by that, by that he came to get the Israelites back, to get them to understand that they had a, a more meaningful calling than just being a chosen people. So now this leads us 
to the text that will make things clearer. Like I said, there's no messing around today. We're going straight. You know, we're at church, right? Let's have a Bible study. Here we go. Matthew 28. And Jesus came. This is after Jesus was resurrected. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's how Jesus talks about the end of the world. He says, when this world comes to a close the way it is, I will be with you there. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. There is no need to fear. But this is where the backstory catches up to this. Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, so I, it might even be better understood like this. Go therefore now, now and make disciples of all nations. Notice he doesn't say of all of the nations. What Jesus is doing here now is that he is opening up his death and resurrection and the salvation that comes with Jesus. He is now in this statement opening up salvation for everyone and anyone. Do you see that? This isn't the command to go and evangelize everyone at any cost. This is Jesus' deeply theological understanding that where once he came for Israelites, now his message is for everyone, always, everywhere. This text, this passage is Jesus telling his disciples and us, consequently, thousands of years later, that we are now to go and to preach that Jesus is for everyone, always. And so it says, go, therefore, Make disciples of all nations. And here's where I want to pause for a moment. When we think about going into the world, we often think about going to faraway lands, to Africa, to India, to wherever, you know, wherever people need Jesus, right, which is everywhere. But the reality is, is I don't have the time or the money or the ability to go somewhere far away. I don't. What I do know and what I do understand is that Jesus is calling me to be a missionary into my own world, into my own city, into the world and the life that is around here. Jesus is calling me to learn the culture and the language. When you go or far away to Africa or something, they, they make you go into this immersion process where you try to learn some of their language. You learn their culture. You learn about their gods. You learn about their music. You learn about their food. You learn about as much as you possibly can so that when you go there, you don't say dumb things or you don't say things that are offensive. And I think that we lost the art of that here in our world because we live here and so we think, well, everybody should just be Christians. They should just know about Jesus. The reality is, is A, that's not the case. And B, it's time for us to put our arrogance aside about what is right and step into somebody else's life who isn't a Christian and learn about their life experience. You see, you can't convince somebody to become a Christian by giving them Bible verses. You probably, usually you can't. It's too hard. You'll have an argument with somebody. I used to have arguments all the time about the Scriptures until I realized I was making more enemies than I was making friends. So I stopped having to be right all of the time. Uh, well, in that case, still, <laughs> I still think I should be right all the time, but it's another sermon. But it's time for us to put our arrogant views aside. Say, look, to go into the world, we have to change some things up sometimes. 
To go into the world, we have to understand life in a way that is outside of the way I was raised. I was raised as a Seventh-day Adventist. That's all I know. That's all I ever will be. Okay? And so sometimes we're afraid to step outside of that and just get to know another person's story because we're afraid that we're going to be hanging around with the wrong kind of people. Except that Jesus only hung around with the wrong kind of people. With hookers? Yeah? With what they call tax collectors, which we still don't like, but whatever. It was very different. They were exploiting people back then. He hung out with Gentiles, with lepers. I mean, he, this guy was hanging out with all of the wrong people. And Jesus put aside the fact that, oh, by the way, I'm God. And he says, okay, I'm God, but today I'm just going to be human and enter into life with you. Now, some of the things that we have been doing. Now, the elders of this church and myself, we gathered together for a weekend uh, at the beginning of the year. And we said, where is this church going? What are we trying to do with this church? If we're just going to be here and have a worship service and go home and come back next Saturday, uh, okay, we can do that, but I'm going to be doing a bunch of other stuff on the side. Basically was what I said. But if you guys are committed to taking this church forward and being a faithful church for Jesus and the city of Orange, then we have to begin to do some stuff differently. First of all, we have to know where we're going. And so the elders, together with myself, said that through grace, we will learn to be faithful followers of Jesus. That's our vision. If we look back 10 years from now, we want to show you how to be faithful followers of Jesus. And part of that is going out and making disciples. The problem with that is it's not always that easy for me to tell you, like, Dave, go and do this. Because then he's just going to memorize it and do it, and he's not going to feel it. How did Jesus make disciples? By spending time with them. I mean, he literally just hung out with them. And he taught them where he could, but he just stayed with them. And when Jesus left, the disciples remained disciples. They didn't become perfect. They didn't become gods. They just remained lifelong learners of what it means to follow Jesus. And they got it wrong. And they argued. Hey, by the way, disciples argued all the time. It's in the Bible. Okay? One of the disciples was mad at the other disciple for baptizing Gentiles without making them have a circumcision at an adult age. I wouldn't have joined either. People argue all the time. In church today, there's disagreements. That's not a surprise. But you argue at home with the people you love the most. Wherever you get two people together, there's going to be disagreements. So part of what the elders and, us have been, and I have been doing is trying to find a way, and it's slow going because we want to do this right, but find a way where each one of you understand that to be a follower of Jesus is A, to trust your life to Jesus, hence every sermon I've been preaching for the last several months. Trust your life to Jesus and then use what God has given you to serve others. Now we've been doing a little bit of things differently this month, okay? Easter, or I don't like the word Easter, but I would say the Resurrection Sunday last weekend that we remembered, that we celebrated, that Jesus is risen, that the tomb is empty. Hey, if you've been here on a weekly basis, things have been a little bit different, right? Right? Some of you have loved it. Some of you not so much. We're a diverse church with different tastes. Here's a problem. For those of you that loved it, church is not about whether you like it or not. For those of you that didn't like it, Church is not about whether you like it or not. Church is that God has been blessing us all week and we gather together in this building and we lift our voices and our hearts and our minds 
and our beings to God, and we say we are thankful for what you have done for us. So there's going to be weeks that you're like, I'm not feeling it. It's okay. We still love Jesus. We still proclaim Jesus. We still raise Jesus up. There's going to be weeks that you love it. That's great because we're still going to preach Jesus. We're still going to say that he's the only way to salvation. We're still going to love you. I get it, but the command of Jesus is go. Jesus said there's going to be some places they're not even going to welcome you. Wipe the dust or you know, shake the dust off your feet. Keep going because Jesus, the message will always, when it is proclaimed, people will listen. And so we, we pray for your patience. But understand that Sabbath morning isn't just about you and me. It's about that we are creating opportunities for you to invite family and friends that maybe, you know, didn't feel like inviting before. I'm sorry. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm loving what we're doing. Okay, this last month was, was a very special event, though. Resurrection Sunday. That's the day when non-Christians and Christians who stop going to church will come back to church. Okay? That's why we try to do stuff that was creative. We're trying to, some people, they just want me to stand up and preach, and that's great. I love it. I'll preach for an hour. No music, nothing. I'll just preach. But that won't work. Some people love the music. Great. We're trying to get to that. Some people like the creative stuff. Great. We're not trying to entertain. We're trying to engage. And second of all, a relationship with God, it's okay if it's fun. For your kids to come to church and say that was fun, probably better than saying, I don't want to go back there because it was boring. Okay, I went through a time in my life where I didn't want to go to church because it was boring and it was bad and it didn't make sense. Guys, I know that this is your church. I may have the title of pastor, but I do feel that God has called me here to work alongside you so that we can go into this world and make disciples and baptize them. And sometimes we have to do some stuff that makes us a little uncomfortable We will never sacrifice theology. I will never come up here and preach from a book other than the Bible. Okay? I will never preach anything other than Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I will never preach grace and grace alone. I mean, I will never preach anything other than grace and grace alone. I will do the best that I can to love you, to pray for you, but we, we got to do this because as we wait for Jesus to return, it is our sacred calling to be God's hands and feet in this world. One little part of that is what we do here from 11 to 12. There's 167 other hours to the week that God is saying, your worship services are good or bad, whatever, but now I need you to be my hands and feet all week long. This is one small way where we can just invite people that, you know, that we can just teach them about Jesus. We could teach them about the scriptures. Like this Monday, I need you to pray for me. I'm going to be meeting with a city official and they're going to tell, and I'm going to tell them, how can my church be the good news to the city of Orange? I don't know if churches do that for them, but that's what we're doing. By me being a part of this church is okay. That's great. Let's worship awesome. Let's do all that. Now let's take all of this and let's spread it out. And we're going to do it in all sorts of different ways. What we ask, though, 
is that you continue to be patient. The average age for the Seventh-day Adventist churches is about 62 years old, I believe, which means that we're not reaching people below that. So we're doing children's ministries to do that. We're do, we just hired a youth pastor that's going to start next week to try to reach out to our youth. I'm doing double duty by doing the young adult ministry. We're all putting our time in because we believe that the message of Jesus is something that needs to be preached. And so Jesus says, go, go. It's for everyone now. Now, I, I'm going to stop here because what I have to go into next is going to take another half hour. But if you come back next week, we're going to be taking a closer look at John chapter 17. And we're going to be looking at more what does it look like to follow Jesus. We're going to be looking at using Jesus as an example, how Jesus lived his life as to how we are to live our lives here. Okay? Does that sound like a plan? Be here next week because it's going to be, it's going to be something that's going to directly impact how you live your day to day. Will you pray with me? God, we, are, um, we don't always like it when we're challenged. We don't always like to feel uncomfortable. We wish everything was easy. But we know, Lord, as you told your disciples once, that you have nowhere to lay your head and you have nowhere to call home. And so we pray, Lord, that you would be our home, that we would find our life through Jesus that we would do away with petty differences, that we would do away with the little things that we make into big things in our lives so that we could be able to preach you in a great and powerful way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.